Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome, everyone. Lauren Gabe here. It's October 26th, and you're listening to episode 19 of Under the Bleachers. This week, it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, we'll be discussing a new HBO Max docuseries about the LGBTQ rights movement. Our sports topic this week is the Six Nations Championship, and for the intersection of sports and queer, we will be discussing a pair of trailblazing gay sports journalists. After that, we're going to share the second half of our interview with the DuPont Social Club. We shared the first half of this interview last week, so if you missed it, we encourage you to go back and check it out. No Team DC update this week because all events are still on hold because of COVID. Instead, we're going to use this time to remind everyone to go out and vote. The election ends next Tuesday. Don't wait until the last minute. Go to IWillVote.com right now to get all the information you need on how, when, and where to vote in your area. Vote early, but not often. Remember, elections are our chance to remind the politicians that they work for us. Laura and I keep bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com. And on your favorite podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. And share us with a friend. Okay, let's get started. Here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers. All right, my topic in the world of all things queer this week is the new docuseries Equal, airing on HBO Max. Equal honors the rebels of yesteryear with never-before-seen archival footage, along with stylistic depictions that bring to life the gripping and true backstories of these leaders and unsung heroes. Over the course of the series, viewers will meet a wide range of LGBTQ plus visionaries portrayed by the cast, many of whom identify as members of the LGBTQ plus community. Each part has a distinct and connected telling. Part one explores the rise of early organizations, the Mattachine Society and the Daughters of Belitis in Los Angeles and San Francisco respectively. Part two stories chronicle the 20th century trans experience, bookended by the 1966 Compton Cafeteria Riots in San Francisco. Part three examines the contributions from the Black community on the growing LGBTQ plus civil rights movement. And part four ties in the decades-long struggles with the culminated Stonewall Uprising, the beginning of the Pride Movement. Episode one of Equal is streaming now on HBO Max. So Gabe, did you get a chance to check out the first episode of Equal? I did, and I thought it was really interesting. It's um, especially good to you know watch now that it's October and it's uh, LGBTQ History Month. Um, it was really interesting. I'd heard some of the, I mean, I've heard of the, the Mattachine Society before, but I'd never heard of the Daughters of Belitis, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it's so funny. I watched it last night, and I can't remember if it's Belitis or Belitis. I don't know. I don't know. They both sound weird to me. It sounded weird <laughs> to me when I watched it and heard it on the 
program and it sounds weird to me now, but I had also heard of the Manichaean Society and not specifically of the Daughters of Belitis, although I knew about um, the sort of lesbian magazines and lesbian newsletters that were like mailed around the country in brown envelopes. I knew about that generally. I just, but I didn't know the name of uh, the organization. Who was doing it or what the, the magazine was. Yeah. But I mean, thought- I agree. I thought it was interesting. Did you like how the 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 way that they like tied together archival footage with you know acted out parts yeah yeah i thought that was really cool that they still like stayed true to it where they showed you actual interviews from the 70s yeah and then you know what they didn't have they just read transcripts and kind of acted it out a little bit i thought that was good yeah i it kind of bugged me i i don't know i had a hard time like staying in it and i almost kind of wish that they like just acted the whole damn thing out and then showed some of the archival footage or I don't know, maybe, maybe have like the crown (laughs) (laughs) or maybe like have more breaks in between where it's like, they just kind of make it more clear that they were cutting away from a reenactment to archival footage. Cause it, it was just a little disorienting to me for some reason. And the, some of the voiceovers where the actors were reading the actual like interviews as opposed to reenacting they sounded really cheesy to me like it was like the actors didn't know what to do with their voice when they were oh yeah switching from one to the other and Almost i was like just a little, thrown off. Yeah, I was a little <laughs> thrown off by the whole thing i mean um, i was thrown off by cheyenne jackson but oh well that's because you're a horny boy <laughs> <laughs> uh i do i did really appreciate recognizing those the actors that are popping up though there are we have so many like out and proud lgbtq actors and they are showing up everywhere and i love it it was one of those where i was like wait a minute that 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 person looks familiar i was like who is that i had to go back and look and i was like okay yeah like anthony rapp was in it um sarah gilbert Sarah gilbert yeah well i i mean it sounds like you liked it a little bit more than I did. I, I'm certainly going to watch the other three parts. And I think that it is an important project. And I'm really glad that somebody's making it. I mean, uh, I, I kind of like to dig into like the history of things. Yeah, um, so a little I history buff. say that I thought it was a little too surface level. I, I thought I yeah. didn't learn that much. I mean, I, you know, I guess I didn't know the names of the specific individuals. So that was new information and seeing pictures of the actual inner individuals and seeing live footage of the ones that are still alive was cool. But I felt like they could have gotten a little bit deeper talking to them about what it was like, as opposed to just saying, these are the five things we did. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I thought it was a little surface level, you know, I mean, I think that I hope that most people realize that, of course, there were queer people in the 50s and that they were getting together and starting well, to talk with each other about, you know, movements. And that's, that's really what I hope it does out of equal. Yeah, that's what I hope it does, that it starts a conversation. So a lot of people think like, oh, um, gay rights started in Stonewall. And I mean, that helped bring it out into the like the the forefront. But there were groups that were working in the 40s and the 50s stuff was going on in the 20s 30s like it it there was it was a build up to it yeah well and i mean i guess if people literally knew zero about lgbt history that this um that show was for them maybe it just wasn't for me because i kind of already knew the very basics and i wanted to learn more i wanted it to dig deeper um 
But hey, you know what? You know, before Equal, nobody was telling this story. So maybe this is just the first start and I'll get my deeper dive next year. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to start the conversation. And even for people to like to start looking up things like. But I'm not knocking it. I think it's a great, I, I think it's great that this story is being told. I love that it's HBO. So it's got nice production value and it yeah. looks good. <laughs> Um, it doesn't look like some pulp piece of garbage thrown together, you know. Excellent narrator. Yeah, well, speaking <laughs> of which, uh, Billy Porter as the narrator also kept taking me out of it. Like, I was like, what? <laughs> Billy Porter's here? And I was like looking for some fabulous like appearance by Billy Porter. But it was <laughs> just his voice in the background. It kept kind of weirding me out. But I don't know if I like his voice as a narrator voice. It's a little too... It's not like, it's like a little too jarring. It's like a little too, um, I don't know. It's not like a soothing like voice that can kind of fade into the background. It's one that- Instead of David Enborough. Like every time he talked, it like took me out of the story. Um, Although I'm glad that obviously he- um, Well, it's not a nature series. Sorry? Not a nature series. (laughs) I know, but like it's- As the homosexuals walk down the streets of San Francisco. I mean, I'm not saying I have a problem with a distinctive narrator, like a good Morgan Freeman (laughs) voice in the background where it's completely distinctive, but also just like settles into the background. It doesn't- Again, March of the Penguins. It's not a nature series. (laughs) Well, maybe it should be. As the lesbians made eye contact in the kitchen- (laughs) Okay. At the end of the day, I'm not knocking equal. I thought it was good. I wished that it was something that dug a little bit deeper into the stories of these people. Um, I'm concerned that we lose our, um, our history as these people are getting older and passing away. And we don't, if we don't get the in-depth interviews with them now, we, we don't get the chance to later. And I think some of the, I, I wish the equal went a little bit, delved a little bit deeper into, you know, how these people felt and what their life was like, as opposed to just a very surface level, factual, these are the steps we took um, type interviews. But that having been said, for what it is, Equal is lovely. It's put together really well. I certainly encourage people to watch it, especially if you um, don't have any previous reading or information about the history of the lgbtq rights movement prior to stonewall um real quick too like one thing that i thought was really interesting was where they were talking about um how it was really cool to be gay and lesbian in the 20s and 30s and then like it, it you know first getting religion into it uh yeah. to help um start the movement but also how they were saying you know in the 40s and 50s it was not common speak common talk so it's it's kind of those things where it's like uh where they're talking about the um you know the african-americans in the 60s and how that was common i mean the that was common in people talking normal people talking in the united states talking about it you know everyday people and um how you know talking positively about gays and lesbians wasn't and how that wasn't part of society yet well, it's also, it was really, it's really interesting, the tie together between like the fear of communism and yeah. the rise of anti-gay bigotry and how, you know, people were targeted as a supposed security threat, you know, like part of the way that the anti-LGBT movement was built was on factions of the government deciding that gay people were a security risk because 
people um, could blackmail them because they had this secret that they were gay and and it became this whole thing but and it's a really interesting sort of history and background about the way that different kinds of hysteria can kind of fuel each other and this whole like sort of fear of communists helped fear of homosexuals rise well i'm kind of, i think i'm kind of seeing it now kind of like a parallel with like with the trans rights movement right now where we need to start talking about this and start, you know, bringing it out to the forefront so that people understand it. And it's, I guess, like the natural progression of any civil rights movement where it's like, oh, that's taboo. We can't talk about it. And then it's now like, no, we need to get these conversations started so that eventually, hopefully in the end, it becomes, uh, I guess, more mainstream and that people, you know, in the middle of the country or just people that are, you know, marginalized, get their voices heard out and are actually heard. I mean, they're, they're understood and they're seen as human yeah 100 percent. and the other thing too i think that is important to remember and think about and that was reflected upon in some of the early interviews in the early parts of equal was you know i think a lot of times people who um are not necessarily anti-lgbt but don't really care and and don't really understand why LGBT people want a pride month or want to be fighting for certain civil rights or certain um, recognition. And their attitude is kind of, look, I don't care who you love or who you sleep with, just go do it on your own and leave me out of it. And I think a lot of times they think that gay and lesbian, bisexual, trans people are like asking for something special or wanting like attention and mm -hmm. saying like, look at me, I need something. And it's not that at all, right? And like, they talked a lot about this at the beginning of Equal is like people were hiding that they were gay, not because they were worried that they wouldn't get a promotion necessarily. It was because they were worried they were gonna get fired, right? Like they would lose their job and not just that, they could lose their home, they could be, lose their family. There was, you know, an entire movement of sending people to asylums to have lobotomies and shock treatment to treat homosexuality. I mean, this is something to be terrified of. This isn't, you know, asking for special attention. This is literally fearing for your existence. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's really serious and it's the kind of stuff that people really need to um, fully appreciate the history so that they can fully appreciate what's so important about where the movement is today and what we're striving to get in the future. Yeah, I totally agree. So yay to HBO Max. Thanks for coming out with another great series and for, yeah, supporting stories of gay rights. 100%. Moving on. So what do we have in the world of sports? All right. My sports topic this week is rugby Christmas. Rugby Yay. Christmas is a little weird this year. <laughs> the Six Nations Championship is an annual international men's rugby competition between the national teams of England, France, Ireland, Italy, Scotland, and Wales. The tournament, which my friends and I lovingly refer to as Rugby Christmas, usually takes place in February and March. Each team plays the other five once during Six Nations with home advantage in alternate seasons, giving a total of 15 matches per championship. 
the teams play each other. They're awarded points based on wins, losses, and draws. They're also awarded bonus points if they score a lot of tries in one game or if they keep a close margin in a loss. Um, and a team that wins all five of its matches in any Six Nations tournament, it's called a Grand Slam, and that team will be aw is awarded an additional three bonus points. The Six Nations tournament has a storied history, having first been played in 1883 as the Home Nations Championship among the four home nations, which are England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. The tournament then became the Five Nations Championship in 1910 with the addition of France, and in 2000, the tournament was expanded to become the Six Nations Championship with the addition of Italy. It's particularly popular with American fans because it's one of the few times you can consistently find international rugby matches on television in the U.S., Coverage of the tournament and rugby generally is getting broader each year, but it is still a great time of year as rugby fans crowd into pubs to watch three games in a weekend. The Six Nations tournament began as usual this year, but was interrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic. At the time the tournament was paused, France, Scotland, and England had each played four matches, and Italy and Ireland had played three. England and France were tied at the top of the leaderboard with 13 points, Scotland had 10 points, Ireland 9, Wales 7, and Italy had yet to earn a point. This Saturday, Italy and Ireland met for their match, and the Irish team secured a bonus point win over Italy, moving Ireland to the top of the tournament leaderboard with just a one-point lead over England and France heading into each team's final match. Next Saturday will be the last day of the tournament, which is known as Super Saturday, with all three of the week's games taking place back-to-back -back on the same day. Wales will face off against Scotland, Italy plays England, and the final matchup is Ireland and France. All teams have lost at least one game this year, so there will be no Grand Slam bonus. Scotland, Wales, and Italy are out of the running at this point. Another bonus point win for Ireland would secure them a victory, regardless of what any other team does. But England, France, and Ireland all still have a very real chance of winning the tournament. So, Gabe, are you a fan of the Six Nations tournament? Were you excited for it to come back today? I am, and I had no idea, and I'm like a horrible rugby fan because <laughs> I was like, when you were like, oh, yeah, I'm watching rugby, I'm like, what, what's going on? New Zealand? Like, what's going on? Like, they're the only country that's having rugby right now. And I was like, what, Six Nations? Okay, first I want to know, is this a continuation of the tournament that was supposed to happen this year? Or is it? Were you it not just listening to what I just said? kind of but i'm like that i just provided to you and our listeners yes but are we but are we gonna but are they gonna do it again in february like since it's so close i assume that they are but that, I, that's what i want to know like because i'm like okay well or is this going to be like oh this is like the 2020 2021 no tournament. this is today was the ireland italy match that was canceled in february yeah, in february okay and next week is super saturday which was supposed to be in March. Yeah. And then I believe they're going to start again on time in February. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I'm excited because I, I, I lucked out that I was in Europe before COVID hit the U.S. So I was in Oxford in February. Oh. And I mean, it was nuts. All the bars, all the pubs were like Six Nations is starting here the schedules like it was everywhere and it's like the entire country just shut down 
I mean, when you watch like, we're going to watch games, it. Yeah. When you watch those games, you can see the stadiums are packed and oh. they are going crazy. The Royal family is all at all the games. <laughs> they had, I mean, they were like all the pubs around the, the, you know, around Oxford had outdoor seating with big screens and they had like all these decorations, all the country. I mean, everyone was very like pumped and excited for it. And then, yeah, the whole world, well, the Europeans were all like sad when, you know, because of COVID, everything had to shut down and everyone was like, well, what's going to happen to uh, Six Nations? What, what, you know, we, we need to know who's going to win. Yeah, it, I was sad. And I well, it was a big uh, shocker because everyone was like, what? Yeah, what you, you're, you're I know. And it was tournament? Really bad. Um, but I'm super excited, obviously, for it to come back. I think it's it's a tough tournament this year. I was, you know, it, Ireland routed today and it's awesome. And if they do score a bonus point win next week, they're going to win the tournament, which would be awesome. I'm a big Ireland fan. Um, of course, they are matched up against France, which is a really tough game. And France is also yeah. in the running to win the tournament. England has the easy draw because England plays Italy next week. And Italy is, you know, very much out overmatched by all the teams, the other teams in this tournament. Um, although I have to say from year to year, Italy has gotten better and better and more and more competitive <laughs> in the six nations tournament. So they, they shouldn't be the butt of every joke, but I mean, it's Italy. They have what the most wooden spoons. <laughs> like, okay. For, for, for non-rugby fans or people who are new to the sport of rugby, you get these different uh, awards. <laughs> and if you're the worst team of the tournament, you get a wooden spoon <laughs> like most sports. Uh, Italy has the most. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. But but again, I do think that they are getting better and better and more and more competitive each year. Um, that said, England has to be feeling really good right now about their chance of winning Six Nations going into Super Saturday, just one point behind Ireland and getting Italy for their last game. Glad to see uh, Six Nations back. It's very disorienting for it to be in the fall. Yeah, I am uh, so confused. <laughs> but okay, did did he also? No, uh, uh, what was he saying? Okay, real quick. Yeah. So, but I do remember it was two years ago um, because I was watching the recap one night, and I was watching it at the Duplex Diner, there in Adams Morgan, and people were like, "What are you watching?" It's like it's rugby. They're like, "This doesn't look like football." What are you watching? I was like, "It's rugby." And then the bar was just mesmerized by like how amazing these athletes looked and i'm like okay they're playing a game like it's also a sport but yeah they're uh they're pretty good to look at so uh, some of them are handsome i will i agree i think lee halfpenny is super cute um the little the brothers that play with the irish team are super cute there's but there's also some really scary looking ones so uh, you know (laughs) i find that a lot of the the forwards from wales are scary looking well it is wales yeah the italian rugby team are all these like international supermodels <laughs> models that are playing rugby like which also might be why they never win a game <laughs> well they're probably all like what is it they're all backs because they're just they're out there fixing their hair yeah for anybody who is not who has not watched rugby before if you can find a game next Saturday, it will be a perfect introduction to what international um, high-level competition rugby is all about. So go out, uh, find some place that's showing a game that has some an outdoor patio and socially distanced seating and check it out. And if you're not a fan of sports, but you like to see 
cute guys in little shorts with big butts and thighs, check out rugby. <laughs> That's true. You'll get to see a lot of thighs at the Six Nations tournament. <laughs> All right. So now moving on for our last topic of the week at the intersection of sports and queer, I wanted to take a minute to congratulate some trailblazing gay sports writers. NLGJA, the Association of LGBTQ Journalists, announced that Jim Bozinski and Sid Ziegler, who founded Outsports.com, are among the 2020 inductees into the LGBTQ Journalists Hall of Fame. Bozinski and Ziegler founded Outsports.com in 1999. At first, the blog primarily covered the NFL, but soon became a hub for sports news related to LGBTQ people. Since its founding, Outsports has reported on countless coming out stories, milestones, and instances of homophobia and transphobia in sports. Outsports has previously been the recipient of several Excellence in Journalism awards from the NLGJA. Before co-founding Outsports.com in 1999, Bozinski was a reporter and editor. He began his career at the Center Daily Times in State College, Pennsylvania, after graduating from Penn State University. Bozinski went on to become an assistant city editor at the paper, a member of the editorial board, and food editor. After moving to Los Angeles, Bozinski was a copy editor and later sports editor for the Pasadena Star News, then moved to the Long Beach Press-Telegram as the sports editor for 11 years. In 1999, the same year he founded Outsports.com with Ziegler, he began working at the Los Angeles Times as an editor, a position he still holds. In the early 1990s, he was a founding member of the Los Angeles chapter of the NLGJA, the Association of LGBTQ Journalists. Ziegler has contributed to the Huffington Post, Out Magazine, Playboy, and The Advocate. He has appeared on CNN and ESPN and in Sports Illustrated and The New York Times. His book, Fair Play, explores how LGBTQ athletes have claimed their rightful place in sports. His latest book, My Life on the Line, tells the story of gay NFL player Ryan O'Callaghan. He is a former associate editor of the New York Blade and sports editor for Genre Magazine. Ziegler is the recipient of the 2015 Lisa Ben Award for Achievement in Features Coverage. Originally from Massachusetts, he now lives in Los Angeles. Bozinski and Ziegler were inducted into the Hall of Fame in a virtual ceremony this weekend. We want to congratulate them both and thank them for their many years of dedication to telling the stories of LGBTQ plus athletes. Um, Gabe, did you see this announcement and do you have any thoughts that you wanted to share? I didn't, but I think this is awesome and it's a great way to bring in a different audience. So a lot of people, when they think of sports, they really don't think of LGBTQ plus athletes. Or they don't think that, you know, gays, lesbians, transgender folks, yeah. everyone plays sports. And right. we do. Well, and um, also but- a lot of people who follow LGBTQ plus journalists and are interested in the LGBTQ plus journalism don't necessarily think about sports writers when they yeah. think about that. So having sports writers being inducted in the LGBTQ Journalism Hall of Fame is, you know, an important um, recognition that sports is a an important part of the culture and sports writing is an important part of following LGBT culture. Definitely. And it's, you know, it's a great way. I mean, out sports, I love that they bring out stories of athletes, you know, either coming out stories or stories on the field and how sports kind of, you know, help save them in some, some cases. And it's just a great uh, way to get an, another, I guess, 
picture of the whole uh, I guess uh, get a get a whole uh, another sense of like what it does uh, what it is to be a gay or lesbian or trans individual or bi individual like it's just you know it, it's just another, another facet of our community yeah that's right it's another piece of the puzzle it's you know the LGBTQ plus community has all of the same um, parts of it as the as the heterosexual community you know we have sports we have arts we have culture we have you know, writers and poets and painters and everything else. And in fact, I have to say, you know, gay people have a lot of feelings. So <laughs> some of our art is frankly superior. It's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, this is a really great move, long time coming for these guys to be recognized for the serious journalists that they are. So congratulations to Outsports and congratulations um, to both Sid and Jim. Yeah, and I encourage our listeners out there to check out Outsports and read some of the stories. They're really inspiring. Um, and it's just great take on what's going on in the sporting world, but from a different lens and a different view uh, than sure. you normally get, you know, on Sports Illustrated or, yeah. you know, uh, your different like newspapers and their sports sections and stuff. Absolutely. hundred percent. And listen to their podcasts, but not until after you listen to ours. Yes. <laughs> you can <laughs> listen to both. <laughs> All right. That's this week's Under the Bleachers roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to share the second part of our interview with the DuPont Social Club. All right, welcome back to Under the Bleachers. As we mentioned on last week's episode, we had such a fabulous interview with the ladies from the DuPont Social Club that we decided to share it in two parts so that you'd get the full benefit of everything they had to say. So um, we are going to repeat the introduction that we had from last week. So for anybody who missed it, they'll get to get to hear the introduction for these fabulous ladies, and then you'll hear part two of our interview. Today we have Javier Aquino, a.k.a. Juana Seymour, and Shane Gill, a.k.a. Savannah Sugarbaker. They're two local amateur drag queens who are members of the DuPont Social Club that dabble in sports and things that involve drinking and balls. <laughs> well, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> Juana is originally from San Juan, Puerto Rico, and has been living in D.C. for 26 years. Savvy hails from L.A., <laughs> Lower Alabama, and has been in DC for 27 years. Both have been involved with many different community organizations, local sports, and have known to imbibe a few cocktails or three. I know that uh, Savvy plays in the Rogue Darts League because I've, uh, that's where I met Savvy, I think, for the first time. I would like to, and I don't, and I just don't know, um, Javi, if you play in any of the sports leagues or not, and so I'll give you a chance after, but, uh, Savvy, can you tell us why you think um, the LGBTQ plus uh, focused sports organizations and rec organizations are so important in the DC social scene? Oh, um, yeah. Well, first of all, I have to give the caveat that um, I try to pick my sports um, um, on really one criteria is I um, make sure that I have a drink in one hand and I can play the sport with the other. So I play darts. I'm um, a part of Stonewall Bocce, which okay. really takes one hand. And I also was on the Cornhole League for <laughs> Cornhole. So okay. see a, a theme going on here. 
But um, for me, I mean, I, I love the, first of all, the social aspect I like I, of, of the sporting event, whatever, whatever it is, sports league. And um, also, uh, I'm also, I'm also competitive. Don't say any word, kids. Uh, <laughs> I also like to win, but you know, to be honest with you, is like as a kid growing up, I um, maybe didn't fit in as the mm-hmm. on the sports field as um, other kids did, and not you know, looking back on it now, it may have been the fact that one, I didn't really have a lot of talent, um, but no, I, or it could have been also that I was gay and maybe um, a little inferior, felt inferior to other people. And I think that um, having the sports leagues in D.C. kind of is, is welcoming to everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think in each of the leagues that, I, that I'm a part of, we also have wonderful straight allies that are also on the teams as well. And it just is such an inviting and welcoming atmosphere for everyone. And um, I'm, I'm proud to be, have been a part of, of um, those groups. And I know that Javi has as well. So before we get to Javi, uh, Shane, is it possible that the reason you didn't have success on the sports field as a kid is not because you were gay, but because they didn't let you drink beer? Yes. And yes. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to make sure. (laughs) And what about you, Javi? I think think in Puerto Rico was was a stigma. Either you were a jock um, doing sports or you were... Uh, the the boy is sitting in the house and just not doing much much of anything, and just coming uh, actually just living in D.C. It's just absolutely wonderful to see that sports is an interest to gay men, and they love it. And they and and I think like Savi said, I think it has become such a social part of our lives. Uh, but some people just like Savi take it very seriously and take it very competitive. And, but I think that it's wonderful to see a group of friends getting together for a team, whether it's bocce, whether it's billiards, whether it's a, a darts, just get together once a week and just like say hello to each other and, and, and have that camaraderie. And I love it. I think it's fantastic. All right. Now I have to ask, have you played a sport against Savvy? And did she tackle you in the middle of it or something? So, well, I um, unofficially have been playing darts with her, and I will never do it again because she will just play, put a dart to my face. <laughs> but, but, that was because of your face, not, not because of the sport. But I, but I, but I do have, do I do have to, I do have to say the uh, the first uh, season of billiards from kickball. Um, I did. I was part of the team um, with some of our friends, and I had a wonderful time. Um, and also, I was uh, part of the first Team DC Challenge Cup, which was held in. Uh, <laughs> the drinks are starting to kick in. Um, <laughs> I'm pitchers, and we had a blast. And I did the ping pong thing. What do you call that? Um, beer pong. Beer the pong. beer pong. And, <laughs> And we, we got into the semifinals and we had a, bl- it was a blast of a day. It was fantastic. fantastic. I believe if I remember correctly that my team beat you in the semifinals. I know you <laughs> ladies. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're having difficulty hearing you, Laura. The internet. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
But I do have to give it to you. You ladies played like champs, and you deserve every single part of the fucking win. I mean, it's rare that people talk about flip cup and say that anybody acts like a champ, but I, you know, I'll take it where I can get it. But you guys play so fantastically well and you guys were so enthusiastic and so kind because every single person on the team were so nice to us and vice versa. I think we play fair and square and it was fantastic to see. Okay. And I, (laughs) sorry, I heard a rumor and I just wanted to um, confirm with Javi. Is it true that at the challenge cup last year, that was the first time you'd ever heard of flip cup? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Is flip cup just not a thing in Puerto Rico or how did you get, make your whole life and never hear of flip cup? We just drank. So do y'all have any favorite athletes you follow or any favorite gay icons or drag icons? Who are you following on Instagram? Well, for sure, um, Leslie Jordan has always been a hero of mine. And he also um, threw out the first pitch of going back to the Nationals um, during one of the um, DC night outs Mm -hmm. a few years ago. Are you related to Leslie Jordan? (laughs) Well, thank goodness I have a picture of me with him. Because several people have thought we were the same person. <laughs> I was gonna say, slap a bow tie and a couple extra years on. You might, you might have a little Leslie going that going on. Well, shit. <laughs> How y'all doing? <laughs> uh, it was, and and actually, I was, I was there to, uh, to be part of that. Um, Leslie Jordan was absolutely fantastic, and he was so kind, and he took pictures with us, and he talked to all of us, and. And of course, you follow your your gay icon singers, um, Madonna, Kylie Minogue. We'll go back to um. So I guess the question was some also like athletes, and I was like, you know what? It's so nice to have um, out gay athletes now that um, you can follow, and some are for obvious reasons like Gus Kimworthy and or um, Tom Daly. Um, Caitlyn Jenner. Caitlyn Jenner is one of Javi's <laughs> favorite out gay. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> he was doing research. <laughs> Did you just Google out gay athlete and like <laughs> Did someone shame you into pretending that you're a sports fan? <laughs> But I appreciate what you what you said. And, you know, Javi, for me, I think it's equally uh, fair if your icons are the music stars and let somebody else worry about the sports icons. Um, I do question how, how Kylie Minogue came out of your mouth before Cher, but, you know, to each oh, their I own. I love me some Cher. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love me some Cher. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Meaning these ladies are been alive and... and, and I, and I think they just have given us so much joy and happiness. And I think uh, even through their music and through their concerts, they just they just keep us going. I think it's just fantastic to see. Well, we do have a lot of great icons, though. And we also have a lot of great straight allies in the sports world these days, more and more every day. So obviously, locally, we're really grateful to have Sean Doolittle and all the support of Sean Doolittle. Um, I agree. Yeah, Dwayne Wade's been in the news a lot um with his support of his transgender child and so yeah 
um, I agree with you guys. The icons are important and we have more and more of them every day. And that is a sign of good things to come. Um, before we jump off of icons, I have to ask, putting aside RuPaul, and, which is the obvious, do you have any um, drag queen icons? Barla Jean, um, Barla Jean is one of my favorites. I've just loved her sense of um, humor and also very, very talented singer as well. <laughs> I think for me, because of my partner, I have, um, have learned to love Dina Martina. Dina Martina has a very, very unique and different aesthetic as a drag queen. Um, I think she's comedic, but she is funny and I love her humor. Um, if you talk about, unfortunately, uh, if you talk about RuPaul, I, uh, I have to say that uh, Nina Flowers, from Puerto Rico, a DJ, I, I absolutely adore. And she is not part of this new era of drag, um, which I respect, um, but it's, it's a very different from what drag used to be before RuPaul became this mainstream insanity. Um, and, um, but I like the old school and old style of drag. And I think that's why I appreciate Dina Martina because I think she's comedic, she's humor, and she's she's a lot of fun to watch, and um, it, it's pretty good. Cool. Yeah, I I'm a, I've always been a big fan of the like club kid persona from like the '80s. You know that whole oh. like sort of out there drag. It's just very cool. Um, but I appreciate you know the stuff you see on Drag Race too, of course. Yeah, so. things. Uh, um, I don't know, life is changing and uh, you have to get into the wagon and just to see, you, you don't have to like it or love it, but I think good, good to see it and good to know it. And I think we have become more prominent and especially on TV and, and, and to everybody's uh, day lives. Uh, we are there representing somehow the LGBTQ community and it's just wonderful to see. Um, and my last question is, is it true that you gave birth to Gabe? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. She's my first child and I cannot love him more. Um, uh, Gabe is a, uh, I think he, when he is dedicated and has a, he, he has many passions. And when he focuses on a passion, he's the most passionate person I know. Um, he can be very hard headed. Um, he fights with his mother, me, all the time, and we just get uh, and we bump heads. But I think he is a wonderful person. With um, and I think one of the things that I love about Gabe is his um, how uh, proud he is of his heritage uh, as a Mexican um, American, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful to see. And I'm very, very proud of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Laura, Laura, let me give a visual to some of your blog listeners um, that may not know Gabe. If slash Margo. Slash Margo. Marge. Um, it, he is the character Russell in Up. <laughs> he totally <laughs> is. <laughs> He's the little kid that comes up, rings your doorbell, and is here to help you. To help you to help you across the street. <laughs> that yeah. Go back right, and watch, well, if you can, go back, watch up. And if you don't think um, Russell and Gabe could be the same person, um, I, well, I definitely will buy you a drink at 
when we're out again. Okay, so what's the over under on how many years until Gabe is crowned Miss Adams? Better be getting (laughs) (laughs) better get there now. (laughs) Well, next year, hopefully, we will have a show and um, we'll see what happens. So I can't hear you, Laura. Something's going on with the mic. I I will say that I put my little electronic vote in for Margarita Swirls last year. Yes. All right. And other than the the pageant night, are people likely to find you in drag for any other events during the year? You you do certain events. Um, a a kickball, um, Stonewall kickball has been wonderful, and they always ask you to host the um the first kickball event of the year. Um. You do. I I have done the um, the Team DC fashion show, and I I MC that with Barbara Ann, um, a, a brand miner. I have done that. Um, I have done uh, for the, I think my third. This is my third year or four. Um, hosting Valentine Day is a drag, um, which has been benefiting um, Smile, but we usually pick a different um. Uh, people to uh, give the money to. Savannah has been, um, I think Savannah didn't participate last year, but Savannah has been one of my MCs in the last three years. And uh, we have done this together and it's always a successful, amazing, fun night, collecting money for the children or collecting money for the, uh, uh, for the uh, nonprofit that we, we have chosen. And it's been very rewarding and very fun, so. And you can also find several um, DuPont Social Club members um, um, helping on Dine Out for Life for Food and Friends. Yes. Hosting at various restaurants, or I think there was even one drag bus that went around one year. Yes. There, various various restaurants. For more than one year. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, there was a bus last year. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, think it, I think when it got to my location, it was one of their last stops. We all, that makes sense. <laughs> whoever and whatever people ask us to do, and, and if it's like in the realm, and I think we have become a little more open with social media and social events. Um, we're always willing to help um, and just willing to uh, go for go for the go for the cost. Yeah, so that's a good, that's a good segue into. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, DuPont Social Club. All right. Well, I really, truly appreciated this entire conversation. I'm glad that you guys could join us. Is there any um, last sort of favorite Miss Adams Morgan or favorite DuPont Social Club memory you want to share before we sign off? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to say, it's like, I just want to thank you because last year was, I think, your first year that you um, came and um, really, for me, it's the, the night of seeing all of my friends um, and new friends having fun, enjoying themselves, laughing, um, and getting a t- like seeing the surprise when you see somebody else there that night. Um, yeah, so I, I miss um, miss all you guys for sure, um, and look forward to hopefully next year we can all be back together and and laughing a lot more. Yes, the ultimate diplomat. All right, Javi, give us something spicy. Um, the, it's same here. I think our our, our show um was going to be October thirty first. Um, it's not happening due to many 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 things that have that are happening in the world, especially this 
crazy pandemic that I think everybody's dealing with in their own way, whether it's emotionally, physically, or mentally. Um, so we are just looking forward and moving forward to have a wonderful 2021. And I cannot wait to see everybody uh, next year. And I think it's, it's going to be fabulous. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.